Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. This week's episode is the story of two guys who ran a web design and marketing consulting business. One day, they hatched a plan for a new SaaS product on a plane ride between North Dakota and Atlanta. By the time they landed, they were fully committed to the idea and had decided what they were going to do next. Now, this wasn't the first time these two had launched a product. They had already tried four times without much success. But this time felt different because their idea would solve a problem their consulting clients were often complaining about. And perhaps this fifth attempt to build a product might be successful. They started by writing a blog post about the problem and how their new product would solve that problem. And they mocked up some screenshots in Photoshop of their product, which didn't exist at the time. And eventually they found a few potential customers uh, and got feedback from them each step of the way as they started to build their product. And they also started publishing detailed and actionable blog posts every week. In fact, they published three times every week. And over the last three and a half years, they've published over 500 high quality blog posts. And their content marketing efforts have paid off for them big time. Today, they have over 100,000 blog subscribers, 7,000 paying customers, and a seven-figure SaaS business. There's a ton of actionable content in this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. 
Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. Today's guest is the CEO and co-founder of CoSchedule, a content marketing and social media publishing calendar for small businesses and marketing teams. CoSchedule helps more than 7,000 teams organize their content marketing and social media publishing in more than 100 countries around the world. CoSchedule was founded in 2013 and to date has raised around $500,000 in funding. My guest has been blogging and speaking about content marketing, social media, and startup business for over six years. He's been featured in Forbes, Social Media Examiner, and Content Marketing Institute. So today, I'd like to welcome Garrett Moon. Garrett, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks you. thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so one thing I always like to ask my guests is what gets you out of bed every day? What, what drives or motivates you to do what you do? Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, I, I, my background is in graphic design uh, and marketing, and I had a career in advertising before I became a, a you know, an entrepreneur and startup founder. Uh, but I think the thing that has always driven me is problem solving. I love to solve problems and figure out, um, you know, Things that I don't quite understand and try to try to put them together and, and create them. I love taking on those types of challenges. So I think graphic design really lends itself well to that early on. It was kind of how I exercise that problem solving desire. And then, um, you know, as I've grown in my career, it's just I keep wanting to upgrade, <laughs> upgrade the size of the problem. Uh, and uh, there's no better way to do that than, than building a, a company from scratch and then trying to scale it. So it's always new problems. Um, and I, lo- I always love trying to figure them out. Now, one of the things I forgot to mention in the intro is that uh, CoSchedule is also the fastest growing startup in North Dakota, right? <laughs> Yes, we are. I, I'm pretty sure we are. I can't imagine, uh, I can't imagine we aren't. So, uh, we are. And, um, one of the few SaaS startups, uh, in North Dakota, uh, definitely not the only startup in the state, but, um, certainly the, one of the fastest growing. So. Cool. Um, so as I explained to the audience a little bit about co-schedule, but tell us in your own words, what is the problem that you're trying to solve and, uh, who are the, the target customers that you're focusing on? Yeah. So I think one of the always exciting things is um, when you're able to solve a problem that you've experienced and you're able to kind of, you know, scratch your own itch, as they call it. And that is definitely a, a bit of the story with CoSchedule. So, um, you know, this, the, the story goes, uh, me and my co-founder were running a service-based company. We were a web design uh, and marketing consulting company. And uh, we had lots of clients. We were building them new websites. We were building them mobile apps and, um, you know, different things like that. And uh, there was always that problem of, sure, I built it. That's great. Uh, but how do I use it as a tool to grow my business? And we would always come back to creating content, uh, you know, using email marketing, using social media, uh, and bringing all of those things together to drive traffic to your site, um, and to actually use your website as a tool for growth. And, um, and this is back in 2013. And I think, 
you know, world's changed a lot in terms of what people expect. But even at that time, um, you know, there was an interest in those types of things, but there really wasn't the tools uh, where where teams could go and, and execute that and be successful. Um, and we found that they were, they were really, they understood that. I think social media had really kind of changed people's expectations of um, how businesses communicate with their customers, but the tools weren't always there to make it easy for them to execute it. So that is really where the spark of the idea came for us was, you know, seeing those clients struggling, uh, us using email marketing and social media as our only method for advertising and, and marketing our business. Uh, we were experiencing it. And, you know, you kind of, sit back eventually and you say, you know, there's got to be a better way. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of what got things rolling for us. So a, a lot of people have, um, ideas and they do nothing about it. Um, right. so what was it about you guys? What was, so what, what did you do with that idea? Did it just, was it something you thought about for a while and, and didn't take any, any action or, or, or was it the kind of thing that it just felt right and, and, and you, you started putting some time towards it pretty quickly? Yeah, it was one of those ideas where we started dedicating time to pretty quickly, although I'd say we were definitely careful in terms of how we did it. And, um, and I can get into that a little bit. But um, one thing to kind of mention here is that we did have a, a product prior to uh, CoSchedule um, that we had built, and it was more of a social media dashboard type of tool. So um, CoSchedule was not our first product. It was probably our third or fourth product, really. Um, but, um, you know, we always talked about the first four as practice. But the, that, that one in particular got us really into social media as well, into scheduling social media and understanding some of the problems uh, with trying to do it all in one um, and learning a lot of lessons in terms of how to build a product, take it to market and be successful with it. So we kind of had that. Uh, as a as a basis, once we once we kind of developed the idea for co schedule, what that really started out as was a um, simple connection between your content creation workflow, which we kind of started with, uh, scoped that just to WordPress, and your social media workflow. So the very first part of the problem we decided to tackle was, um, you know, do users want to um, you know create their blog content and then maybe perhaps right below that piece of blog content actually schedule the social media to promote that that very piece of content. So we actually started looking at building a plugin just to solve that one piece of the problem, uh, which would obviously, you know, lead into a full, full fledged marketing calendar where we are today. Uh, but that was, that's kind of where we started. And so, um, you know, kind of getting back to like, you know, was an idea we just took off on right away. Yeah. I think once we, we, we always say it was hatched on an airplane between here and between North Dakota and Atlanta. And, um, it was something where once we kind of started putting those two things together, took some of that knowledge we had from working with customers and clients, took some of that knowledge we had from working with our social media tool. Uh, it clicked. It made sense. We knew it was something we wanted to take action on, you know, day one, as soon as we landed. Did you, uh, did you get funding or look for funding right away or, or did you guys, were you self-funded in the early days? We self-funded for at least a, for over a little over a year. Um, so, um, we, we really wanted to be able to prove traction. And really at that time uh, we had a successful business. We had a few team members. Um, so we had the ability to build and put some resources into it without having to raise funding. So it really, Funding at that time wasn't even on our mind. Um, it was just not not really something we were needing. It was, you know, we had everything we needed to to get going. Yeah, I've seen a lot of founders or, or come across several founders who have had a services business and they have um, effectively used that as a vehicle to fund 
the software business with with yep. differing levels of success but um and and obviously it's it's also a pretty tough situation to be in because you're basically building a business that's going to kill your cash cow at some point right which is your your services business which is probably paying the majority of the bills in the early days yeah yeah absolutely i would say it's the hardest it was in many ways, it was most most exciting, but it's the hardest thing I think we've ever tried to do. Me, my business partner uh, Justin, as entrepreneurs, was to balance those two businesses, particularly in the early days. Um, you know, before we ended up taking funding for CoSchedule, and um, you know, I always kind of think about it. We had once one time we had sort of this vision, like fifty fifty, we called it, and it was um, you know for our for our consulting agent or business, we thought, well, what if fifty percent of our revenue came from service? And the other 50% came from product. And that seemed like a really great idea. But the problem is, once you start thinking about that, and it's a, it's a big theme, I think, through, uh, probably throughout this interview that I'll touch on again is, is focus. Is if you're, if you're 50% focused on two things, you're not 100% focused on anything. And that makes whatever you're trying to do and launch out of your service base company extremely hard. And, um, that means, you know, so your, your revenue is split, your, your time is split, your attention is split, everything is split. And so nothing is focused. And that, that's a very hard place to be as an entrepreneur, I think. I mean, we could talk for an hour just on focus and, and the importance yes. of it and figure out how to get focus. Um, but th- thinking about the idea, so you, you kind of developed this idea. How, how did you go about? transitioning to the software business did you initially pick a one customer to start working with on the software product or how did Mm -hmm. that transition come about yeah so um the very first thing we did was um was actually write a blog post um and uh, it came with a couple things you know i kind of we developed a name uh, we did do that and we kind of kind of developed sort of a basic structure of what this this product would do and that kind of encompassed sort of a probably a 1.0 type type idea or a lot of times what we call it here is a 0.9 version not even the 1.0 you got to get your mvp um and then also sort of like well where do we think it you know, it's going to be, what's the real, what's the real goal? What's the real product we want to build? Um, and we kind of brainstormed those couple things. And then maybe we spent maybe a few weeks, a month on something like that. Uh, but pretty quickly we took it to, uh, some pretty crude mockups in, you know, just in Photoshop that I had put together and they looked nice. And there was a kind of a quasi logo associated with them and some, you know, basic colors. Um, but it was just a picture essentially of what this tool would be. And, uh, we put up a one page splash page. It was a really simple, uh, email signup. It had two or three bullet points of what we thought the product would do and the problems it would solve and why we thought somebody would want to buy it. You enter your email address there to get more. And I think uh, the only other thing we did was along with that was this really simple blog and we wrote a blog post and, um, and that was it. That was the first step. And I always, uh, you know, a big part of our story is content marketing and inbound marketing. And I always like to say we wrote uh, blog content. We wrote, a, a, you know, that type of stuff before we wrote code. And so that was the very first thing we did. And we were really fortunate that uh, we had some good um, connections with some people in the WordPress community, and uh, were able to get get that that announcement. Uh, you know, basically, I said, well, "This is what we're going to build. We're going to build CoSchedule, and this is what it's going to do." And we think scheduling is broken. We think it's frustrating to do social media and to do it together, and we're going to fix that. Um, and we just kind of you put it up there, see what happens. 
Um, and we got picked up by a handful of WordPress uh, specific sites and marketing sites. And within the first, you know, 24 hours, we had probably three, three, four hundred, uh, you know, email signups uh, of people saying that they were interested in that product. So that was a pretty, a pretty telling moment. But that was, that was the very first thing that we did to get going. The second thing that we did was we downloaded a copy of that email list and went through it. And, you know, you throw out all the Gmail addresses, the Yahoo addresses. And we looked for those at uh, URLs and pulled those out and identified 10 potential uh, customers that we thought would buy the product or we felt like were in uh, potentially what could be our niche in our in our market, um, and it was a wider variety. We had a couple of people from universities. We had a uh, you know a large nonprofit organization in there. We probably had a couple um, more solopreneur uh, or um, you know professional bloggers. So we had a good assortment of people, and I worked up a probably eight or nine uh, page slide deck keynote and um, scheduled calls with those people got on the phone call and did a 10 minute walkthrough of what we thought the app would do and started to ask them questions and get their feedback. So we really started with, you know, the bare minimum, I think of what you would need to, to get a product off the ground. So basically your, your MVP was a blog post. <laughs> it was a blog post and, and you could maybe include 10 slides in a, in a keynote file uh, as well, but that was it. As you started to talk to people and and get feedback, did that significantly change your visit, vision? I mean, did you have any surprises when you talked to people or did it just validate the problem that you thought needed to be solved? Some of both. Um, I'd say the, the more so we validated it and I think we understood much better what would motivate somebody to buy it. Um, and I think we learned a lot with that. You know, you sometimes when you're selling a product well it'll save them time or it'll make it easier uh for them you know you kind of think of some of those uh basic things but i think what we came out of it is having a clear picture of why it would save them time and we were able to speak more directly to potential customers so i think we got a lot of help in just in terms of how to market and sell the product and i think there's and i recorded uh, you know all of those uh interviews so the whole team could go back and watch them and um so and i think you pick up words that that customer or potential customers use that you never would have our phrases. And um, that was really, really valuable. Uh, we did definitely have a couple features that we had proposed in that first slide deck that we ended up not building or we put way on the back burner. Some of them we've now built, um, some we still haven't. Yeah, and we just kind of learned that those weren't high priorities for users. So it definitely helped us also prioritize uh, the, the, what we were going to build. Um, so I'd say it was a significant learning experience. Um, but by and large, we were able to validate that uh, we were we felt we were onto something or that, and our, that the customers agreed. If you were starting like all over, like from scratch today with a new startup, do you think you would take, you take the same approach like you described in terms of, okay, let's, let's kind of use, create some images and what we think the product is going to look like. Let's write a blog post. Let's get the word out there and let's start talking to people and kind of finding out about their, their problems and, and kind of sharing our vision of what we want to build. That's a great question. I never really quite thought about it. I think, I think in many ways I would, um, I think some of it, the only thing I could see changing that would just be depending on the size of the audience and the competitiveness of that particular market. You might want to be more careful, um, potentially, um, you know, as our, as the product has grown 
you know, as our platform uh, and our audience size has grown a little bit, there could be some hazards in it in doing it too soon. Um, but as a startup and, you know, a couple people at, at a web company, uh, we had nothing to lose, right? So at that point, it was it was great. And we had everything to learn. And so, you know, there's not a lot of reasons not to do it. And so I probably would do something like it. And I think the other piece of it that we did is that we continue writing those blog posts. We blogged, I blogged once a week about the entire process of building CoSchedule. I shared early wireframes, early ideas, um, got customer feedback and comments and stuff all along the way. And what it did is it really started to tell the story of our company. Um, and that became a very powerful thing that was there for us when we launched. So, um, you know, I, in many ways, I think of it, all of it was marketing before we launched and I would definitely want to do something just like that again. You know, I, I wanted to sort of spend some time with you learning about what you guys did to, to drive growth. Um, mm-hmm. obviously on the one side, we can look at the fact that you already had a services business. So you had a potential client base that you could tap into there of um, people who could become potential customers for your software product. Um, well, actually, go ahead. Can I jump? Can I jump in on that? Yeah, because sure. I think I think um, that's actually a really big p- potential pitfall. I think um, for for people who are trying to make that transition from uh, service to product is um, because we did that, and, and I kind of had mentioned earlier in the first segment that we had this previous social media tool, and that is one of the things that we tried to do with that tool was oh we can make it instantly sellable to our our you know this customer base, which was primarily for us a localized customer base. These are people we know, and they're in our hometown or in our home state. We had some national you know national type clients, but um, by and large, that's who you're selling to. Um, and, and I think that could be a dangerous path to go down because it doesn't really uh, help you validate a broader marketplace uh, because you're selling to people you already have a relationship with. So you're, you're, re- you're leveraging relationships, not uh, just an idea or uh, a problem that somebody has. So you, with a SaaS company, a startup that's going to have uh, hit you know massive growth, you have to be able to sell it to somebody that uh, you've never talked to before, never met before, will never even know who you are um, and understand them all the way through the funnel. So I think that is actually a really big um, thing to watch out for and, and something to specifically not do. Uh, with CoSchedule, we never had the intention of selling it to service-based clients. Uh, we felt that it was really important to just skip past that. And I don't know that we ever did. Maybe there's one or two clients that bought it, but um, you know, by and large, we did not try to do that. That that's really interesting because I mean it's a great point because it's one thing selling a product to somebody that who already knows you you've spent face to face time with um, yeah. they they have a track record of working with you versus somebody who's never heard of you who comes to your website and sees right. a sign up button yeah and people buy things from those that they know, like, and trust. And somebody, one of our clients, they already know, like, and trust us because they already, they bought something at a much higher ticket value than what we were going to be selling CoSchedule for. Um, and I think there's also this realization when you're selling SaaS software, you, you don't, you can't sit in a meeting room and talk to someone to sell them the piece of software. They have to be able to buy it on their own in order for you to ever hit any sort of meaningful scale. So I think just kind of setting yourself up for like, this is the challenge that we are going to have to accomplish and let's try and figure out how to do it right away is really really good. If you try to lean too far back on current clients, um, you, I think, can early on can kind of fail to make some of the changes and do some of the things necessary to kind of have that natural funnel uh, that you're going to need. 
Now, one of the things that I'm, I've really been impressed with CoSchedule is, apart from the product, is you guys kind of walking the talk and actually what you've done with your own content marketing and the blog that you've developed and, and a pretty huge audience from what I understand as well. Yeah. Um, was that the primary way that you were acquiring new customers? It's one of the main ones. Um, yes. Uh, in, I would say by and large, that has been, um, the number one driver of growth for us. And, um, we've, you know, kind of that early part of the story talks about, we blogged, I blogged once a week and talked about just the process of building the product about, uh, it took us about nine or 10 months to fully really build out co-schedule in the way we needed to and wanted to, uh, before we officially launched. And there were several beta phases and stuff along that, that way. And we had a group of, of, you know, people we called co-pilots that tested the software for us. There was a lot of steps in there, but the one thing that was always very consistent was we blogged and shared our story. And then towards launch time, started converting that blog content to more uh, helpful type of, uh, you know, inbound content that just talked about the, you know, scheduling process, marketing team tips, you know, the stuff that CoSchedule now publishes on a, you know, daily basis almost on the blog. So um, we just kind of kept the habit going and never stopped. I think, um, you know, we probably posted three posts a week uh, pretty early on after we launched, I think was kind of the, the goal. I think now we do two, um, but we have published, you know, probably pretty close to 500 posts. And if, if you've read the co-schedule blog and you should, it's fantastic. I don't write for it as much as I used to, but the team, um, has, has absolutely taken it to a whole nother level. Uh, Nathan and, and our content team, um, you know, beyond what I was writing for it. And, uh, we've always focused on actionable marketing strategies and marketing tips. We always call it actionable content marketing. And so our posts are, uh, in depth. They're how to, they give you actual stuff that you can use. Uh, you get, uh, downloadable worksheets, you get downloadable Excel spreadsheets, like things that will actually help you put the stuff you're reading into action. And most of our posts are several thousand words. So they're, they're big, uh, you know, meaty posts and, um, uh, you know, connecting that to our email list and connecting that to our social strategy has, has absolutely been a key to growth. Our, our email list now is, uh, you know, well over a hundred thousand. So it's a, it's a big size list. Yeah, I think it's a great blog. Um, and I would definitely recommend people check that out. Um, we'll, we'll include a link in the show notes to, to that as well as, um, obviously the product. Um, now everybody, everybody looks at a, a blog like CoSchedule and others and says, well, they, they have a huge audience and so it's easy for them, but everybody starts with zero email subscribers, zero. Yep. Yep. An, an audience. So how, how long did it take? for you to start to see some traction with your own blog? You know, I would say we were pretty, you know, in terms of growth, it's always been uh, pretty steady. Uh, and, um, you know, we've always been pretty good at it. I think the one thing that I can think think of, there's probably maybe two bit good pivot points that I could point out that were real catalysts for major growth, maybe when we kind of jumped to another level. Uh, one is uh, uh, users might be familiar with a tool on our site called the Headline Analyzer. And this is a free tool that we made. And I don't know exactly when we launched it. Um, it's been a year and a half, maybe a couple of years by now. Uh, but this is a tool where we took, uh, you know, CoSchedule, we worked with a lot of people's blog posts. We were looking with a lot of their social media stuff. So we started, I think we had about a million 
headlines in our system and social media data in terms of number of shares that those headlines had received to go with it. And so we just kind of stepped back and look, took a look and said, okay, like what – what makes a really viral or a heavily shared post a heavily shared post? Is it because it's a list post? Is it because it you know includes numbers? What words is it including? Uh, we did a bunch of research on uh, some of the other things that other uh, teams have done in terms of what makes a great headline. And we put together this free tool called the Headline Analyzer. And you can type in any headline and it will give you a score and a complete breakdown of that headline and how to make it better and how to make it uh, more shareable uh, and, you know, more, uh, more likely to go viral, so to speak, uh, type of headline. And that's, it's free on our website, but we, we attach that to um, some really useful content, uh, you know, a little PDF that goes through power words and highly emotional words that make better headlines, has some tips on headlines. And it's just, you know, kind of your old, your most simple, uh, simple approach of, of, you know, email uh, list building is you, you come, you use the tool. We don't gate the tool, but we offer you a helpful PDF uh, when you're there. And, um, you know, most of the users that use it, they come back multiple times a week. They've downloaded that thing and it, it's, it's been helpful to them and it's grown our list. And I would say that um, that tool in itself uh, drew, drew tr- tons of traffic uh, and tons of signups for us. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with bupos.com. Now, content marketing, um, there's no shortage of content marketing and social media marketing blogs out there. Right. And I, in fact, I'd say it's a pretty saturated area that it's it's kind of overwhelming when you start to look for what's out there. So- mm-hmm. How did you guys figure out how to stand out from the crowd when it came to creating your own content? Yeah, uh, I, we call it, we think of it as the Blue Ocean Strategy, which um, is a book that I'm sure many of your listeners have, have read, um, but uh, and it's a great one and you should read it. But it basically talks about, um, you know, and what you're saying is content marketing is pretty saturated. Um, and if you think about that as this ocean, uh, that means that the, the water of content marketing in your industry is bloody with competition. There's lots of people doing it. Um, everyone's trying to steal steal the time and attention of your readers. Um, but they're all essentially doing the exact same thing uh, to try and do that. So the idea of a blue ocean strategy is that what is the thing that you're going to be able to do that's going to rise, uh, you know, float you, bring you to the top um, and take you out of the bloody water so you're not competing against uh, everyone else. And I think uh, in terms of marketing, that's that's a concept we applied to our marketing. And I think that was a really big um trigger for us uh, as a way to kind of think differently in terms of how we are approaching our content. I think there's some other really great examples of startups who have done that. But uh, for us, it was just a matter of like, okay, what are we going to do that's going to rise us to to another to another level? What are the things that we can provide that no one else is willing to do um, or that no one else has thought of to do that will make us stand out and be completely different? And um, Headline Analyzer is a great example of that, using our data and then giving it back 
to that the community who actually generated the data for us. That was all their content, and uh, we just took it and looked at it in a different way and gave it back to them and, and just gave it away. Um, the other things are our posts are huge. They're well researched. They're in depth, um, and they're actionable. They're very very actionable every single time. There's always something you're able to take away, and you're going to be able to put it into action right away. Um, and uh, I think we're well known for that type of content, and um, because we've de- delivered it consistently now for three years, over and over again, twice a week, always in your inbox, always useful, always actionable. Uh, and another part of that is every post we have includes a download, a, a, a resource, a, a, a spreadsheet, a worksheet, you know, something that'll help you uh, do something with it. And so I think in content marketing, you get a lot of people who are willing to write a 500-word blog post because that's relatively easy. You get a lot of people who are willing to write a 1,000-word blog post even because uh, it's still relatively easy. But once you make it bigger, and it's not just about length in, in terms of like doing the research, doing the homework, spending the time, really putting together something that's actually useful and really special, um, most people won't do that. And that has, by and large, been our Blue Ocean strategy and it has worked. And I think you have to be able to figure out what, what that is. Um, Another really good example of it, many of your users might be familiar with, is Groove, uh, the help desk software and their blog. And I'm sure half of yeah. you, most of your readers probably read their blog. Um, you know, their story is awesome. They were, um, you know, Alex Turnbull has, has talked about it. They're, they're going along with 10, 12,000 subscribers on their email list. With their, their kind of normal content marketing blog. It's going okay. Uh, but they were able to kind of completely turn that around and say, uh, what's going to be our Blue Ocean strategy? Our Blue Ocean strategy is going to be we're going to publish our numbers and we're going to tell this story of going to 100K per month in, in revenue. And, you know, it, it changed everything for them. It's a totally, total way to rise to the top. And, yeah, it, it gets harder and harder to come up with that every day. Um, ours wasn't particularly fancy, but, um, you know, you have to approach it, approach it uh, differently. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And, and I think Groove is a, a great story there as well. Um, the funny thing is that after they did that, I saw a lot of other startups trying to replicate the exact same thing. Yeah. And and it kind of goes back to the same point. Well, no, now you probably need to figure out what's the new thing that's going to help you stand out from everybody who's using that kind of groove approach to do their exactly yep it only it only seems to work once and so you have to um but you know again i think it's the same lesson applies there though it's the hard work like if you're willing to do the hard work of figuring out what your blue ocean strategy is uh then you can find one if you're not willing to do the hard work and you're just going to copy someone else that's not a blue ocean strategy that's just you know, you, you, you didn't put the hard work in, right? Um, and doing our Blue Ocean strategy was hard work. It took us twice as long, three times as long days to write a post. Um, but it paid off uh, because we stuck with it and put in the hard work. And I think that's, I think that's the differentiating factor is uh, if you take tr- shortcuts, they usually don't, they usually don't pan out. Yeah, I think you guys have a great story as well in, in terms of content marketing. But you know, it sounds like a great story and, and it sounds like everything went really smoothly. I'm sure in reality it didn't. But kind of looking back at those those early days, what didn't go right? What was one of the kind of the bigger mistakes that you made that you wish you'd done differently? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think lessons, mistakes made for us always come back to uh, not listening well enough to our audience and to our customers. Um, and I think 
that's that's always something that you can kind of get distracted by and i could say um this would be true even for you know for the content that we were creating on our site as well as the the um the product that we were building although i would definitely say the pain of these these types of mistakes are felt far more in product um and i can think of several instances where we built features that we forgot to really understand why our users would want them um or if they would buy them or how they would value them, that we uh, got ourselves into situations where we spent tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on development that uh, we ended up having to throw away or, um, you know, really just never could catch on. And I think the same type of thing could be said uh, for content. Um, in early days, I remember spending tons of time getting podcasts going, get, scheduling interviews, um, and doing all of these things to do a podcast. And it was a way to generate more content. And um, podcasts are great. CoSchedule is launch, in the process of launching a really, uh, a really great actionable market content marketing pro, uh, podcast right now. But at the time that we did it, it caused distraction. It took too much time, and it got us outside a bit of uh, that blue ocean strategy that we had kind of put put together. So it distracted us from doing what we were really, really good at. And so we kind of learned with some of those things is that you really have to um, understand your audience and understand why they're there and what they're relying on you for and make sure you give them that first. And once you can do that, uh, you know, in your sleep, basically, then you can start branching out and trying some other things. But if you do it too soon, and if you don't take them into account, you can get yourself into trouble really fast. So it's kind of a broad answer, but I think I think it comes back to focus and knowing what you're good at, um, and 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 doing it, executing it really well, rather than uh, executing you know a whole bunch of things, you know, pretty okay. What I'd like to do is really kind of uncover some practical tips that other founders who are listening to this can can kind of go away and maybe apply to their own business. And specifically, I wanted to talk about how to use a an editorial calendar as a way to develop some, some rigor and consistency in creating content. Um, yeah. and, and just generally some tips that people can use to to build an audience and and get the word out about the content they're creating. And, you know, for me, this is something I guess is personal as well, because I've spent a lot of time um, with this podcast and, and in, in growing an audience there, but I've done very little in terms of blogging. And, you know, I came to the realization eventually that, hey, there are a lot of people who still don't listen to podcasts. It's maybe it's just not the kind of thing they want to listen to. Um, and so there are potentially people who, uh, I'm missing out on who could be, um, you know, part of my audience. And also as, as I've done, you know, well over a hundred interviews, there's so much stuff that I've learned that I, I kind of have an opportunity to share that as well in different kind of formats and platforms. Um, yeah. and so, you know, I start to think about that and, and think about, well, what can I do to be more consistent with content marketing? And I've always felt that having an editorial calendar, is is a good way to do that and I, you know i spent 10 years at at msn in the media business and you know that kind mm-hmm. of stuff was kind of you know it was just part of everyday business that you had that sort of discipline around you but when it comes to doing it yourself it's it's a lot harder i think and so i want to kind of yeah. pick your brain on that um i also signed up for a co-schedule account um and i i've just got to say i love the bit that once you actually sign up for a paid account that that little video that you have of <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so for people who haven't seen that, you, you basically get this little video and it kind of says it's a message from the co-schedule team. And um, it kind of, it's kind of, it feels like you're kind of walking into the co-schedule offices and everybody's welcoming you and everybody's excited and there's this kind of party going on and, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. And it kind of, that's um, a, that's a live feed. Every that's time. A live feed. Yeah, right. <laughs> Every time. It now, happens, that would be oh, yeah. impressive. <laughs> All right, so let's start with oh, uh, those are always fun. We update that every once in a while. It's a fun video to shoot. Yeah, yeah, no, oh, it was. I, I really enjoyed that, and I think it kind of show the the, the culture of the organization as well. And I think yeah. that's really important as well. So let's talk about getting that kind of rigor and 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 discipline and kind of for folks who aren't familiar, what is an editorial calendar and why is it important. Yeah, I think uh, editorial calendar is, uh, you know, as simple as it sounds. It's a it's a calendar that tells you what you're going to be publishing um, and it gives you sort of a plan to follow in terms of what am I going to publish next week? What am I going to publish the week after that, the month after that? Um, and, you know, editorial calendars can be considered uh, or can be kind of thought of in yearly buckets where you uh, kind of do a theme per month. Sometimes um, a lot of magazine publications, I'm sure you're kind of seeing that they, they'll kind of follow those types of themes. Um, but for most people in terms of blogging, podcasting, it's a, it's a monthly calendar and you're probably looking at two to three weeks, four weeks ahead of time. Um, I'm going to publish this post here, this blog post here and you know this podcast there. So it gives you a clear picture of what's, what's coming up. And, and I think that's the, that's the key to it. And you talk about consistency and, um, blue ocean strategy right there. Most people don't put in the hard work to stay consistent. So if you can, um, you know, figure out that way to deliver very consistently, then, um, you know, you, you kind of have an advantage right there to start with. An editorial calendar gives you that plan to follow. So you don't, um, <laughs> you don't have to, to do it every time you sit down to write a blog post. How do you come up with or uh, ideas for the content that you're going to create? Yeah, I think first thing you have to do, I used to call it a, a blog storm or a headline storm. Um, I like to say write 100 headlines um, and don't start with that. Start with 20 and then write 40 or start with 25, then write 50, then 75. Uh, but give yourself um, some breathing room. And um, that may sound hard, but uh, forcing yourself to kind of get that first set of 100 headlines written out, they don't all have to be good. And some of them could be one or two words, or just a topic, really. Um, but you know, give yourself a wide variety of ideas to start with. And um, it allows you to kind of start going back through there and focusing in on things that are stand out. Some sound more fun to write. Um, you know, and where you want to go from there. But that's, that's always what I say for step one. Is there some kind of uh, structure to how you come up with those ideas? Like, do you, do you kind of focus on some specific themes or is it just literally as simple as just brainstorm the stuff that comes to mind and uh, get that down on paper or, or computer? Yes, I think uh, you could uh, start with defining categories. You know, it's one way to think about it. Like, what are my what are the categories I have on my on my site, um, and uh, use those to kind of brainstorm groups of headlines for each particular category. Uh, if you don't have categories yet, you haven't even launched a blog, you can make a few up. Um, I think the biggest the biggest thing here is to me always with brainstorming is don't put many rules on it to start with add the rules in later as you learn and understand what you're doing a little bit more um a hundred headlines it may not be your next 100 blog posts right you may only have 20 ideas in there that you actually use 
But sometimes just the, the activity of getting the bad ones or the, the throwaway ones out there is useful and it will help you get to the better ideas. So um, I, I always try not to get too structured with it, um, but I'm sure there's other techniques that, that might be useful in that. Okay, so you kind of come up with these ideas. Now, I guess one of the challenges in also doing that is figuring out which of the ideas that good. are good and which are bad, right? And, you <laughs> yeah. know, I, I may have one idea on the out of my 20 ideas, which could potentially, I don't know, generate thousands of social media shares and engagement yeah. and stuff like that. And I could have the, the other 19 on my list could be ones that I'll only get, you know, five people a day ever reading. So, Right. So, and I think that's another kind of nice, um, nice thing to do is you have to think about some of your content, maybe in the early days as MVPs. Um, so you're going to write a blog post and, uh, you're going to, even when we do a podcast and we were talking about this not too long ago, uh, you know, we're, we have lots of audience. We have people we can ask, you know, what do you want to hear? What, what kind of stuff do you listen to now? How could we be different? But at the same time, we're still going to experiment. And so one of our goals was try something a little bit different every single episode or every single batch of, of shows, um, and trying to mix it up a little bit because I think you're not going to guess uh, correctly and you know, don't try more so try to add experimentation directly into your process. So that may mean taking those hundred headlines, breaking them into three or four different groups of categories. Maybe it's list content, um, you know, um, or, um, you know, how to type of content, you know, whatever it might be, um, or more like news based content, current events type stuff. Uh, Try them and see which one's getting the most traction, uh, which one is easiest sometimes for you to write. I, I don't think it's a bad idea to say, like, if you just have a really easy time writing in list posts, for example, like 10 things that I learned doing this, you know, five tips for whatever. Um, there's a great blogger uh, named Michael Hyatt. Many people might be familiar with him. Um, and uh, he's a fantastic guy, a uh, great speaker and author and co-scheduled customer. But he writes list posts like nobody's business. And uh, it works really well for him. It's a format that fits him. It fits how he thinks. Um, it works really well if you translate to his podcast. And I think you could fake yourself out saying, well, I don't want to write so much list-based content. But um, you know, it, it works for him. And, and he uses it over and over again very, very successfully. I mean, he's a really successful blogger. So I think um, find out what's going to make it that you have to find that kind of magic place where it's easy enough for you, um, but also, you know, obviously something your audience is going to work. And usually, if it's something that helps you create really great content, it, it can you can make it work. Do you or did you do any keyword research as part of the the kind of the figuring out every what time you're about? Okay. Yep, every time. Uh, we never publish a post without, without you know, um, doing some keyword research. Um, as simple as, you know, there's Moz and lots of tools you can use, or it's as simple as just doing a search for that topic on Google itself and seeing what's out there and how you want to fit in. So um, we, never, we never blog without it. Do you start with the headline and then sort of use the keyword research to validate it? Or do you sometimes do it the other way around as well? Just use keyword yeah. research as a way to generate ideas for content. You know, I don't know how every writer does it because I think um, it's a little bit different. But I would say most of the time there's a pretty rough 
pretty rough headline, at least in place. Um, we'll probably use our headline analyzer to clean it up a bit and push the score up to where we want it. We never publish it, you know, for example, that's where 75, I think is the threshold we look for. So, um, we probably change it, but I think, I always think it's valuable to have a headline first. Um, I think it doesn't, it doesn't, it not only helps you know the topic you're going to write about it, but it gives you a, a kind of a key in on the format. So like if you're starting how to, you're going to approach that post differently than if you're going to say 10 tips for, right? So um, it gives you some framing. Uh, so, and I think the way I think about it is, you know, as a SaaS entrepreneur, your audience is going to be totally familiar with the idea of reducing friction. Like when you get a user to sign up, how do you reduce as much friction as possible to make it as easy as, as possible for them to get started with your tool? The same thing goes with your uh, content creation process. How do you reduce friction? You know, what time of the day works best for you? You have to figure that out. Uh, where does it work best for you? Um, you know, does a headline getting your headline written and figured out the day before and then coming back to it tomorrow to write the post, you know, is that, does that help you come at it with a, f- a fresh perspective? Um, you know, like what are those little tweaks that help you be successful? Uh, for a long time, I used to record an Evernote uh, audio recording uh, of myself just kind of running through the, the basics of the post as I drove to work. And so I'd, I'd have the headline and I'd kind of read it right, right before I took off from, from my house. And I would just start talking and kind of just free, free talking. And, you know, usually by the time... I'd come to work. I would have kind of figured out exactly how I was going to approach things. I'd have sort of a rough outline. I'd probably even have sort of a you know really crude rough draft that I could go through and listen to, um, and that worked really well for me. So I think you have to, and that's not maybe not going to work for everybody, but you have to figure out how to make it easy for yourself. Um, and you know, using an editorial calendar to set up that schedule and commit to that schedule. I'm going to publish once a week on this date. Um, and then, uh, you know, you're holding yourself to it. You have to hit it. And in co-schedule, we have tasks and we have reminders and, you know, color labeling and all kinds of cool features that will help you, um, stay consistent and plan out that calendar so that you can, um, execute it well. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still about those personal habits that you build. Now, now co-schedule also allows you to, or helps you do the social media scheduling and, and automatically posting your content once it gets yeah. published or the day after or things like that, which I think is really cool. Does, can you also use co-schedule to, uh, share curated content, which stuff, stuff that you haven't published yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have a Chrome extension that allows you to, uh, you know, grab curated content from anywhere around the web and you can add that right to your calendar. So you can actually see this, you know, every day you can see what blog posts are going live, what social messages are being sent out. Um, we, you know, cover all the major social networks, um, and, and give you the tools to be able to kind of manage that entire calendar at a single glance. Cool. Yeah. No, I'm still learning a lot about co-schedule i i've i kind of uh like to think i pick up stuff pretty quickly but uh there's there's quite a lot of stuff in there that um uh you know i'm, I'm yeah. still surprised about when i come across or some some stuff that you mentioned and i was like oh wow i kind of completely missed so it. It, and with, with social media promotion you know i think it's really important to think about when you're to be successful at content you also have to be successful at not just creating it but actually promoting the content you create 
Um, so uh, that's where the social media side becomes really important. I think there's this tends to be a problem where um, you publish something, you work hard to create it, and you kind of tweet it once and it's done. You post it on Facebook once. Um, so we have a lot of really good ways to reuse some of that content, particularly when you're creating stuff, you know, just like you are, where it's evergreen and it's good today, it's good tomorrow. Uh, so uh, we have a social queue that allows you to create a whole set of drip messages that we'll send out over time and we kind of give you some key dates to hit on, um, you know, today, tomorrow, next week, next month, three months from now, uh, where you can repeat content. We have a tool, a feature called templates, which actually lets you create, it's really cool, lets you create a, a, a the perfect social sharing plan. You can fine tune it uh, for every network and you can actually apply it to any blog post in a single click. So uh, we actually use it to schedule out six months a worth of social content at once. And we, we wow. apply that template. It schedules 60 messages. We fill in a couple, uh, you know, kind of reusable fields, hit save, and um, the calendar is full. So, I mean, you can, you can populate your calendar with really well-customized, really powerful, useful social content. Not just like the old, I'm going to repeat the exact same tweet a hundred times, that old trick, um, but actually nice, unique content that is engaging and useful to your audience every single time. Uh, we try to make that as easy as possible. So uh, we also have some features in, in the works that will actually allow you to reuse uh, some of those social messages. So as you find something that gets does really well, a lot of people like it, they click on it, um, it's driving traffic, you could actually re put it into what we're going to call the requeue and it will actually reschedule it when it finds a day where you're not, so you haven't scheduled enough social messages, we'll actually go pick that one up, stick it in there uh, and use it to help drive drive more traffic back to your content. So really trying to take that promotion side out of it uh, and make that as easy as possible because it, it can be tremendously tedious. But um, And the fact that it's tedious means it's hard and means a lot of people don't do it. So they're, they're missing out on some of the traffic they could be getting. Yeah, that's a great point because you know, getting for many, for many of us, getting to the, just hit the publish button seems hard enough. Um, <laughs> right, it's monumental. Then, yeah, but then you realize, no, there's a whole bunch of other stuff I need to do if exactly. anyone's ever going to discover this stuff. So good. All right, uh, it's time for our lightning round. Uh, I'm going to ask you uh, seven questions and uh, just try to answer them as quickly as you can. Ready? All right, sounds great. I'm right. ready. Uh, what's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Um, you know, I think I'll go back to fundraising, or not back to, I'll cover fundraising, which we didn't get to too much. But I think somebody told me right before we started raising our round of funding, uh, if you want money, ask for advice. And if you want advice, ask for money. And I think that was uh, tremendously valuable in terms of fundraising and actually in many ways uh, of the business that if you can go into a conversation and, and um, you know, really respect the person you're talking to, ask them for input and advice to help you, um, they're going to be very receptive to you. And uh, it's a great way to to build a network and to raise money. Uh, what book would you recommend to our audience, and why? You, you already recommended the the Blue Ocean Strategy, so if you want to just use that one, that's fine. Unless you have another one you'd also like to share. No, Blue Ocean Strategy would definitely be a great one. But I do have, uh, boy, I have tons of them that I could recommend. Um, one that might not get recommended very often is a book called Strategy and Tactics of Pricing, a guide to growing more profitably. And this thing is uh, like the Bible of uh, pricing strategy. Very can be very technical. Um, I definitely haven't absorbed all of it, uh, but it's a fascinating book. Super helpful on one of the hardest 
things there is to do in, in running a business and a SaaS company in particular is figuring out your pricing. So, uh, one of my, one of my favorites, I also got to plug in, put a plug in for Lynchpin by Seth Godin. It's old maybe, uh, by this point, but actually I still love it. And we actually have every co-scheduled team member who joins, joins us, reads Lynchpin and gives a book report in their first wow. few months. So it's a, it's an important, uh, it's an important book to us. So I, I can't, can't go without recommending it. Good. Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Uh, focus, you know, focus like a laser beam. Um, I think it's, it's ap- absolutely uh, essential and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's what's required to, to do something well. And I think it's a hard thing for many entrepreneurs, particularly when you talk about ideas in this interview, uh, entrepreneurs have ideas and, um, sometimes they're taking action on five of them at once. And like I said, you know, if you're 50% focused on, uh, two things, you're never hundred percent focused on anything. So, um, there's a guy, Dave, a fan, financial counselor out there and, and, uh, big personality named Dave Ramsey. And he says, uh, gazelle like intensity is what he has is the way he kind of raises it. And I think it's, it's essential. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit apart from co-schedule? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm just, I'm so not, um, a productivity nerd in that way. I am very simple. I, my productivity uh, t- tool is an Evernote note with check boxes and I add stuff to the top of it all the time. And I think the only real hack that I have on it is um, that I try to clean it up uh, pretty regularly or I'll just, sometimes I'll just add a spaces and a, and a uh, horizontal rule just to kind of like hide the extra stuff. Um, but I, I think, you know, the best one maybe is just try to pick the three or four things you're going to focus on right now and do those. Um, sometimes if you're, you're, you got your task list get too big and unwieldy, um, it's just impossible. It's overwhelming and it's hard to even tackle it. So just what's the three things I can focus on that make the biggest impact right now, put those to the top of your to-do list, forget everything else until those three are done, then go find another three. Um, and you don't need much fancy software to do that for personal productivity in terms of team productivity. Um, we use co-schedule for a lot of our projects around here. So um, there's that as well. That's good advice. Uh, what's a, a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Um, you know what the world needs is a universal API for sharing tasks across a bunch of different apps. I mean, uh, I think like there's, there's, I have to do's being generated in all these different places. And I think it would be great if we had like a, a unified standard for how tasks are created, sort of like ICS, uh, files for, uh, calendars. And I think it could be, be useful. I don't know how I would sell it or if it's practical at all, but I've always thought it'd be a great, great thing to do. So if somebody in your audience wants to tackle it, uh, they should let me know. I, I, I like that because that's one of the things I, I hit when I started playing around with co-schedule was, um, I like the idea of these task templates uh, where yeah. you, when you create a new piece of content or you schedule a new piece of content, you can um, add a set of predefined tasks to it. And so for me with, say, with the podcast, it could be, okay, well, this is when the podcast is going to get scheduled and you sort of go back from that and say, this is the date the interview is going to get recorded or this is the date the episode needs to be edited or whatever those things are. And that's sort of great. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I found I needed to upgrade it on the plan to <laughs> to get to that feature, um, which probably goes back to stuff you learned from that strategies and tactics of pricing. That, book. that pricing book, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a good one. It's a yeah. good one. Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? 
well, you know, I don't, I don't tell them, so that's why no one knows them. But maybe one would be that I am a, a, a studio art major. I actually have a degree in sculpture, and um, and it's conceptual art, conceptual sculpture. sculpture. Uh, I also have one in graphic design, so a little more practical side of me too. But um, there's an artist in there somewhere that liked uh, like that, creating that kind of thing, and um, don't use it much. But uh, it was always a fun way to think through problems and to to thinking and thinking exercise for me. Yeah, very cool. Uh, and finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, well, I have three kids, three boys, um, and we like we all like baseball and the Chicago Cubs. Uh, so that we spend a lot of time uh, playing baseball in the backyard, going to the batting cage, and um, rooting for the Cubs who are having a great season. So uh, that's that's one of it. And uh, maybe the only one is I'm from I'm from North Dakota. We have lots of winter, so. Um, I like winter sports like snow skiing, uh, which we have no mountains in North Dakota. So we have to go to Montana for that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I like I like the seasons and I like winter, too. So awesome. Baseball, winter, uh, editorial calendars. You've summed, summed me up. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Now, if folks want to find out more about CoSchedule, they can go to CoSchedule.com and uh, make sure to check out both the product and the blog because there's a ton of great great information there if folks want to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to do that uh twitter i pay attention to um all the time so garrett uh two r's two t's underscore moon is me on twitter awesome garrett thanks for uh joining me today and uh sharing the story of uh co-schedule and and also uh how to how to do a better job with content marketing so um i'm personally going to apply a lot of the tips that you shared and uh I'll give you an update in a few months just to, to see how I'm doing with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let me know. Uh, yeah, it's been been a pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Omer, for uh, for the for the talk. It was fun. I appreciate that. Cheers. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? JotForm Tables is a solution you've been looking for. JotForm Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and JotForm Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your JotForm forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But JotForm Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture.
Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.